Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. segments today it's just me it's just wits got a little different vibe going on in the show today i'm gonna take the first two segments and talk about baseball Roz is gonna take the next two and talk a little basketball so i'm gonna start it right off you're gonna get 20 straight minutes of wits we're gonna break down some of the mlb teams players we got some free agents going on we got spring training A lot of exciting stuff, but first I kind of want to start off with a a report, a new study linking changes in the baseball to the record number of home runs in the major leagues. So, you know, people have kind of been wondering whether the MLB is using a juice baseball. You look at the numbers the past four years, um, past four seasons, home runs per team per game went from .86 in 2014, 1.01 in 2015, 1.16 in 2016, all the way up to 1.26 in 2017. Pretty steep upward trend, if you ask me. I mean, I didn't really need this study to realize that last year, I mean, there, there were just home runs all over the place, um, specifically Gene Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge. It just it didn't seem normal. I mean, I know there was a ton of guys with a lot of big power in the league, but it didn't really seem like... <laughs> Like it was a normal occurrence, especially with kind of the comeback of what it seems like pitching the past few years. I mean, I know we had the steroid era, kind of got off of that, and it looked like pitchers were kind of taking back control a little bit. Um, now, you know, via Rob Arthur and Tim Dix of 538.com, the latest bit of evidence in this study, and, you know, Arthur and Dix arranged to have balls from after the 2015 All-Star break when the home run surge really began, X-rayed, and examined by scientists from USC and Kent State. Here's basically a little summary of what they found. You know, looking inside the balls and testing their chemical composition revealed that the cores of recent balls were somewhat less dense than the cores of the balls used before the 2015 All-Star Game. The newer cores weigh about a half a gram less than the older ones, which might be enough to cause baseballs hit on a typical home run trajectory to fly about six inches farther. Only six inches, remember that. That alone is hardly enough to explain the home run surge of recent seasons, but when combined with previous research finding that baseballs began to change in other small ways starting around the same time, it suggests that a number of minor differences may have combined to contribute 
to the remarkable upswing in home run power we've witnessed since 2015. All in all, not a big deal to me. I don't really care. I like the home runs. I think it makes the game more fun. I've been pretty outspoken on this show that I do think guys like Barry Bond should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm not exactly against um, steroid era like a lot of people were and still are. But, you know, let, let's talk some teams. Let's talk some players. We got a lot of good stuff going on in the major leagues right now. And a team that, I, that I'm really looking at specifically is the Chicago White Sox. Kevin Millar, they're doing the 30 for 30. Um, 30 clubs in 30 days on the MLB Network, and he actually thinks that the Chicago White Sox are going to make it to the 2018 World Series. I don't know about that. I don't know if I'd take it that far, but it does look like they're moving on to phase two of their rebuild. Rebuild. You know, last offseason, they traded away Chris Sale, traded away Adam Eaton, two major pieces of a team that really wasn't very good. Um, they've also traded Jose Quintana, Todd Frazier, David Robertson, Tommy Canely, Melky Cabrera, Miguel Gonzalez. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. But you look at the team now, um, you know, coming off a 67 and 95 season, you've still got Jose Abreu and Abisail Garcia, who produced some major, major seasons last year. I mean, Jose Abreu has been doing it for a long time. Um, one of the more consistent guys in the league who I think constantly gets overlooked because he just he's not very flashy, but the guy hits 25 homers and hits 300 every year. Last year, Avisel Garcia put up a 330 line with a 137 OPS plus, 18 home runs. I mean, I think those guys are major pieces in this team. I do worry about the pitching. I mean, the pitching is definitely not the strong suit of this team, but you look at a guy like Carlos Rodon, Michael Kopech, um, there's a couple of young pitchers on this team that I think are going to make a difference this year. And it's it's going to rely a lot on James Shields. I mean, not really a guy you want headlighting your rotation, but that's what they've got. But I kind of want to focus on some of the other younger players, guys like Tim Anderson, who I think is going to be one of the premier shortstops in the major leagues, if not this year, within the next couple of years. And you look at some of the prospects on this White Sox team. I mean, a, a guy that everybody found out about last year, Yohan Moncada. Um, made it up to the big leagues. Lucas Giolito made it up to the big leagues. The White Sox still have several really high-end prospects who could reach the MLB this year as well. Um, among one of them, outfielder Eloy Jimenez, really the centerpiece of the Jose Quintana trade. Guy's 21 years old, hit 312, the 568 slugging, 19 home runs in, in double A last year. I think he's a guy who could make it up to the big leagues. I talked about Michael Kopech already. Um, and he was a big piece in the Chris Sale trade. The third best pitching, pitching prospect in baseball, also 21 years old, reportedly hit 105 miles an hour on the gun. We all know that, you know, velocity only gets you so far in the major leagues, but that, that, is, that is damn impressive. Last season, he posted a 288 ERA with 172 Ks and 134 minor league innings. Pretty, pretty good. And you also got Alec Hansen. You got Thiago Viara. You got Connor Walsh, um, all guys that I think we're going to be hearing about very soon. So you look at this White Sox team, the probable lineup, um, leading off, and this is according to CBS Sports, Charlie Tilson, guy who uh, we played high school baseball against. He played for New Trier. You got Yoan Mancada, Jose Abreu, Avisel Garcia, catching Wellington Castillo, Tim Anderson, 
Yomer Sanchez, Lurie Garcia, and Nikki Delmonico. So, you know, not not the biggest names on this team right now, but they I think they got a chance to make some noise and it's gonna come down. So I think, like I said, rotation, pitching rotation is key for any team, but you know, Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Carson Fulmer, three young guys at the back of that rotation who are, are gonna have to make some noise this year. And I don't know if it's going to happen. I think it is. I think the White Sox are going to surprise a lot of people. I don't think they're going to dethrone the Indians in the AL Central. But, you know, look for the AL Central to be a pretty competitive division this year. I know I've brought up the Tigers before to a lot of people's dismay. People think the Tigers are going to be one of the worst teams in baseball this year. But I just have I have a feeling that Michael Fulmer and Miguel Cabrera are going to turn a lot of heads this year and that Miguel Cabrera is going to have a career year. We look around the major leagues for some more big news, and I think we've got to talk about Jake Arrieta and the rumor that he might be going to the Washington Nationals. And, you know, represented by Scott Boris, has a pretty big history of dealing with the Nationals' owners. You know what? It kind of makes sense. I mean, Arietta's going to turn 32 um, very soon, I believe tomorrow. And he, he's come down from the heights that he reached in 2015 when he won the NL Cy Young, but still been a very major asset for the Cubs. Over the last two seasons, he's made 61 starts. Um, pitched to a 330 ERA, the 129 ERA plus. I mean, th- those are pretty good numbers for a starter. And we're going to break that down more after the break. This is the Sporting Edge with just wits right now, but Roz will be back. If you miss the show, you know where to find us at LibertyTalk.com. What is up, everybody? We are back. I am back at the Sporting Edge. We still got Roz on a break until the second half of the show. But after the first segment, I was talking a little bit about Jake Arrieta. 61 starts the past two seasons. Um, you know, But he hasn't been on the disables list since 2014. Velocity was down a little last year, but a lot of people think that was kind of by design. I mean, you guys getting a little older. Still missed a lot of bats. A great cutter. Um, but you look at the Nationals, and I think this does make sense for them. I mean, they are still a team that is very much in the mix of things, especially when you look at their division. I think being relatively weak, I mean, I'm always thinking that the Mets are going to make something happen. But you know what? The, the Nationals, um, I think, are a pretty safe bet to win the NL to win the NL East. Um, signing Arietta would be would be a very good rotation. I mean, you look at it right now. You got Max Scher- Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, um, Gio Gonzalez, Tanner Roark, Jake Arrieta would be a very big piece. And I, I think we could end up seeing another rematch between the Cubs and the Nationals because with the Cubs adding you Darvish, um, they look like they're going to be pretty big favorites to win the NL Central this year. And you look at the Nationals. You know, they're entering the season with, with A.J. Cole as their, their fifth starter um, right now. But if Arietta signs, that'll definitely be different. And, you know, this is Bryce Harper's final season in D.C., as many people suspect. And it makes sense that the Nationals will try to go all out to get this title because I think you go back a few years when they decided to sit Steven Strasburg before that before that playoff. I don't know. I think it was, I think it was 2014. I'm not sure, but kind of leaves you scratching your head because they really have not been able to make it back um, 
So the Nationals, I think, are, are a team who is going to make a move because I don't believe that they're going to keep Bryce Harper. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. And I don't know. I don't think he's going to be in the pinstripes anymore um, after the moves the Yankees are making. But speaking of the pinstripes, I mean, Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton might combine for in the neighborhood of 140 home runs this year. I mean, I was watching a little, a little spring training baseball a couple days ago, and Gary Sanchez hit a ball that went over the scoreboard. I don't know where they're playing, but I mean, the sound the ball made off that guy's bat. Unbelievable, and he's really the third most talked about hitter on that team. I mean, you had Aaron Judge, who absolutely took the league by storm last year, and you had Giancarlo Stanton, who already had everybody's attention and then decided to go hit 60 home runs. That is a a 3-4-5 or 2-3-4, however they put it, that I would not want to face. On top of that, you got Didi Gregorius, who hit 25 homers last year, and You've got a rotation led by Luis Severino that could bring this Yankees team back um, not only to the ALCS but to the World Series, and I think that's definitely a possibility. Look a little bit more around the league. I know we talked about Eric Hosmer striking it rich with the Padres. Um, what will that do? I'm not a big fan of the Padres this year. I still think they stink it up, but you know, Eric Hosmer has been a part of a lot of great teams with the Kansas City Royals. You know he's a winner. He's a very good guy. So I think he'll be good for him. But I, I don't think that the that the Padres have enough to get there, to even get to the playoffs. A lot of trade talks going on for the Orioles and Manny Machado. I mean, the Orioles have been a team that has been trending just in the wrong, the absolute wrong direction the last few years. Um, you know, you have an aging Chris Davis, Mark Trumbo, still some good, still some big bats. But, you know, I, I think the Orioles are, are headed kind of in the opposite direction. Um, so, you, you know, you look at the past few years, I mean, the past six seasons, they're six in the majors in wins, you know, behind the Yankees. They're 18 ahead of the Red Sox. But I, I just don't think they have it in them this year. I mean, they, they have an aging roster. Like I just mentioned the two guys. And you've also got Adam Jones, um, who I would say used to be a superstar. I wouldn't call him that anymore. But... I think Manny Machado is going to be one of those guys like Bryce Harper who's going to be one of the most sought-after free agents that that we're going to see in a long time because he's a guy who can still play, and he had a horrible, horrible first half last year and just was absolutely on fire for the second half. Is it going to be the Yankees? I mean, that that would that would kind of bring back the Yankees I, I used to know growing up that would literally buy every single player that was on the market. The White Sox or the Phillies in a, in a trade and sign possibility. Manny Machado goes to the White Sox, then I'm talking him up even more. Um, and you know the Giants. Giants are a team that has been making moves this off season. They have a gaping hole at third base. Um, I don't think Pablo Sandoval's showing up anytime soon and hitting three homers in a World Series game again. They missed out on Giancarlo Stanton, um, and I think they they're gonna make a playoff push, but. I, you know, I don't know if they're a good match for the Orioles. I don't know how many prospects they have to give for Manny Machado. But, you know, as a third baseman, as a shortstop, he, he can do either. No big deal on that front. But, you know, I look for him to have a big year. Choi Otani, exciting prospect for the Angels. Um, still not really sure if he's going to just hit or just pitch this year. He might do a little bit of both. I think they're going to lean towards the pitching. 
because the guy does throw about 100 miles an hour. But you look at a couple other things. The Braves want their top prospect, Ronald, Ronald Acuna, to wear his hat straight. Not very exciting news to me, but sometimes I just got to go with what, with what CBS Sports and ESPN gives me. We've talked about some position changes. We've talked about some teams. Um, the Royals actually signed Lucas Duda. They had to find somebody to replace Eric Hosmer. Is Lucas Duda as good as Eric Hosmer? No. Is he the guy that's going to get them to the World Series? Probably not. Probably not. But Lucas Duda, the guy is a professional. Um, he's been around a long time and didn't really have a great year last year. He hit 30 bombs. Um, only hit 217, though. But you look at the this lineup the Royals are going to run out there. You know, Whit Merrifield, Jorge Bonifacio, Lucas Duda, and the Rios, Salvi Perez, Alex Gordon, Jorge Soler. Um, I think there's a couple, if there's a couple guys on this on this team that have a career year, looking at guys like Soler, um, Whit Merrifield had a great year last year, but, you know, you look at Duda as well. They could be a team that can make a little noise and kind of goes along with my theory that the the AL Central is going to be interesting this year. As good as the Indians are, it's going to be interesting. But, you know, you look at the Royals lost, you know, they lost Lorenzo Cain. They're likely going to lose Mike Moustakis. Um, and they lost Eric Hosmer. So they lose a lot of pieces, but still, still, there's still some pieces on this team that I think could make it work. Um, but I'm looking at, you know, really the AL East and the AL Central to be the two most exciting divisions in baseball this year. I know I've brought up J.D. Martinez quite a few times. That signing finally going through for the Red Sox. And, you know, Yankees, Red Sox. And where are the Blue Jays? Where are they going to be this year? I mean, Josh Donaldson, um, you know, is this going to be his final year in Toronto? I don't know if he's going to stick around any longer if the Blue Jays keep stinking it up. You look at a couple other divisions, the AL West, you know, Houston Astros, I think clear-cut favorites, but watch out for the Seattle Mariners this year. I mean, Seattle has been a team that's kind of been hovering around the playoffs, it seems like, almost for the last 10 years. Um, but they're, they're a team that has a pretty vicious middle of the lineup with Kyle Seeger, Nelson Cruz, and Robinson Cano. And Felix Hernandez, I think that that's going to be a big key this year is Felix Hernandez going to be able to stay healthy. I mean, I think his best days are behind him, but the guy can still pitch. The cat can still get out there and give you six or seven innings of some solid baseball. But I think Seattle's a team to look for. Texas underachieved last year. What are they going to do? And you look at the free agent tracker, there's still a couple big names out there. Um, you know, nothing was as exciting as that night when Lorenzo Cain and Kristen Yelich both got traded, or excuse me, signed one, signed one, traded to the Milwaukee Brewers. But a couple guys, like I just mentioned, Arietta, Mike Moustakis, Lance Lynn, um, relief pitcher still out there, Alex Cobb. And we go a little further down the list, you know, Jonathan Lucroy and Greg Holland, big relief pitcher. And then a couple other guys to round it out, Neil Walker, Carlos Gonzalez. Mark my words, Carlos Gonzalez is going to make a big impact on a playoff team this year. 32 years old, he's not done. I think he'll hit at least that many home runs this year. He's going to get signed. In the meantime, that is all the time that Wits has for the Sporting Edge this week. That was all baseball, and that's basically what it's going to be for Wits all the time. 
Roz is going to hit everybody up after the break with some talk on college basketball and hopefully a little NBA as well. But I'll see you next week. And Roz, take it away. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got The Badger, who writes the hot topics in the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to thebubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubba at thebubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bubba at thebubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. What's up? What's up? What's up? We are back, everybody, and it is time. It is time to address what has been so prevalent in the news. We're staying our focus in basketball right now. And let me, just before we get into this real quick, it is tough. I don't know how Xander did, and I won't be able to listen to it funny enough until Saturday. I wonder how he did on his own. But talking to yourself really is a challenge at a certain point. Because you think like you're setting up a question for somebody else, but then boom, there's nobody else there to answer it. You're kind of asking blank questions in the air. And I, I applaud Colin Coward when I see him do it live. But we're I'm alone. We're doing it live right now here in the studio in Los Angeles. Just came back. It was a very somber but exciting weekend back home in Chicago. It was a great time. But I'm very, uh, very excited to be back in L.A. Things are moving, shaking and baking, as Ricky Bobby would say. But back to what's really pressing the sports universe, and that is surrounding college basketball. And if there was ever a time for LeBar Ball to strike, and I think LeBron called it out, I think Duke's Coach K has called it out, there needs to be an alternative for these college kids before they go to the pros, and they need to watch out because LeBar can jump in on this with his new league. He could pay the players, they go for one year, boom, they go to the pros. And we start seeing that, once again, one-and-done style thing. Not even college, They don't even have to go to college at this point. In fact, I'm hearing about them loosening it up so that people can go straight to the D-League from high school, make it a developmental league. It's going to get dangerous. The NCAA is in absolute trouble, and they have no clue what's going on. The NCAA has been an absolute problem case. I've been doing speeches about it since high school, and I'm 23 years old. I've been doing speeches in college about why college athletes should be paid. I mean, it is their product they are putting out there. The revenue that is being generated by most of these schools, whether it's football and basketball, I know you can sit and make the arguments for why the other sports aren't pulling in that revenue. Well, baseball still does all right. You still got women's college basketball on ESPN. That's still getting viewership. There's still marketing going on during those games. Money can be dispersed. Obviously, it won't be the same, and we're in an era that we want to pay everybody the same. I really think that you deserve to be paid what you're bringing in. And yes, that means the football and basketball teams would be making more. But the real problem is the fact that they've been ignoring it for this long. And now it's coming to a head. Sean Miller, you're absolutely wrong. That's the first point. Rick Pitino, we saw him do all that stuff. Deny, deny, deny. You still, you lie, you lie, you lie. And that's what Sean Miller's 
going to be going through through this point. So instead of this being kind of a quick case, Sean Miller gets punished, Arizona gets punished, all the other coaches get punished, this is now going to be like a Penn State story, obviously not to the magnitude and disgusting of that nature, but this is going to be a story that's going to linger on ESPN and all the sports channels for a long time. He offered $100,000 to lock in the number one recruit. Now, I don't actually have a problem with that. I don't actually think that would taint the game. I don't think if they won the national championship this year and they were still under review, I don't think it would be fair for them to take it away. We had that argument last week, Xander and I. I mean, both of us obviously on the same side. But because it's not the rules, because the FBI is involved, because this is now going to be a massive Shonda, it's, he's got to come out and admit it. There's a wiretap. There is phone evidence that he offered or asked to offer that sum of money. And if you want to play this deny game, and I'm in, I guess I'm impressed with the loyalty of Arizona, who are, who's backing up Sean Miller. <clears throat> I mean, trust me, this is tough for me. I mean, on an outside perspective, Coach Archie Miller with the University of Dayton, his brother, loved what he brought to the program for four years while I was there. Obviously, he's at Indiana now. I don't know if it backtracks to him. He wasn't really in the reports. But feel bad for the guys. I, I was always hoping for a Miller-Miller matchup in the national championship game. Don't think I'm going to get that. And I think Sean Miller's career, as Jay Billis says, could be coming to an end and would absolutely be over if this was proven the other way. College basketball in some trouble. Coaches are now trying to dig themselves out of it, trying to be proactive. I don't think it's over. I think Sean Miller's going to be the first one. And Sean Miller's helping all these other coaches by creating more of a problem with this. I mean, now they'll wait to investigate on Coach K or on Roy Williams or on Calipari because all those names are in there. Every single one of those names is in that FBI report. And South Carolina is involved. Alabama is involved. Many top programs are involved. But they're going to be on hold creating this storyline for the next... This could last one to two years. I mean, we can go from coach to coach to coach and it just takes... It'll last as long as... The coaches last in terms of, no, I didn't do it. Oh, wait, yeah, you actually did do it. I mean, college basketball to me is one of the most glorious things in the world. I haven't worked. I haven't gone to school. I haven't done anything for March Madness in the last decade. And it's it's starting to get sad to me because I love this sport so much and I just know how much it's going to change because of all these issues. But while I still have the fun, I might as well go through what's going on in college basketball, obviously go through the rankings a little bit, Virginia still holding the top spot in an absolutely impressive finish against Louisville. Hitting the game winner against Louisville in a game that they were about to be absolutely upset. I think that shows that, once again, in college basketball, especially in March Madness, what happens down the line? And Virginia showed me today that they can hang around and still pull it out at the end of the game. Obviously, you can claim it's a lucky shot or anything. I think the way you've play at the end of the game, the way the game finishes, I think is a very true representation of what you could do in March Madness, even if it's during the regular season. Obviously, Michigan State hasn't moved. They won at Wisconsin, hosted Illinois earlier this week. They face, they go, or they host Wisconsin this weekend. We'll see how that goes. Wisconsin really hasn't been their true nature, or true selves. Xavier 3, Villanova 4, and Duke at the 5, but that's going to be a quick drop. They finally lost. Let me tell you, I was, and I'm still right, actually. They just finally allowed a team to score over 60 points, which is why they lost. They lost 69-68. Nope, that's the wrong one. They lost 64-63 at Virginia Tech. That's their first loss in a minute, and that's also the first time they've allowed more than 60 points in a game in the last seven games. I was the coach. I fixed their defensive woes. In fact, the game before that, they held Syracuse to 44 points. 
all I have to say. Kansas is sneaking back up on me. They're at six, Gonzaga seven, Purdue eight, North Carolina nine, Cincinnati ten. Cincinnati, interesting they had that far of a slip. They were they were moving, they were progressing their way up, but I guess they're not playing in a conference suitable enough to maintain that spot. They fell out of the top ten. They are working their way back up. They moved up one spot this week. North Carolina, they were last year's national champions, and I know they lost players. They still have Joel Berry there. This is a team that does scare me come tournament time, and I'm always skeptical about North Carolina because, like Kansas, when I was younger, they were a team I was picking frequently, and I know they did win in 2005. I know that they always are kind of around. It'll be interesting to see with North Carolina. I think they are a very veteran-esque team, something like a Villanova, where I could see maybe a Villanova-North Carolina matchup again. I mean, that would be absolutely exceptional. That rematch would be – that last game was the best college basketball game I'd ever seen. My issue becomes if this Duke's defense is really coming into its own, then that does create problems for North Carolina. It'll create problems in the ACC tournament. It'll create problems in the NCAA tournament if they play each other. I'm really going to stick with Duke. I don't – I don't always support this Duke Blue Devils team, but there's something about this team this year where I do believe Marvin Bagley Jr. is the Anthony Davis of college basketball right now. He is that much better than everybody else. So I really do like Duke. If I had to go down and kind of pick, I mean, Texas A&M, I haven't seen in a minute. They've been struggling. Kentucky, really not a fear of mine. They're just such an athletic team with not a lot of scoring potential. And that's, that's obviously the points per game is one thing. When it comes to a shootout, they will get beaten. They don't have the greatest shooters in the world. Kevin Knox, we'll see how everything goes with the FBI investigation there. Interesting to me, Middle Tennessee is 24th in the country. They're 23-5. and We know that they upset Michigan State as the 15th seed in the NCAA tournament. This year, they're going to be higher up. They're going to have a better seed. And that's my team to watch out for. Not in terms of them advancing and moving forward in the tournament, but this is going to be a classic 5-12 upset. They might drop a 5 seed. They might get the 4 seed and whatever respective bracket they're in. Watch out for an early exit there. A lot of hype coming around this team. I know Dayton at the peak of their height after the Elite Eight struggled in the first couple of rounds when getting higher seeds. So Middle Tennessee looking pretty good during the stretch of this season, but I would say be very careful when it comes to bracket time in terms of picking them. St. Mary's, another team I just don't find very relevant. Nevada at 21, a team that you can move away from. West Virginia, Recently playing well, won on the road at Baylor, beat Iowa State, beat Texas Tech. They've got a big game at Texas. Texas, who's still on the bubble, trying to find their way in. I think the Big 12 has been decently impressive, but they are beating on themselves, similar to the Big 10. We know the woes. Oklahoma is in some serious trouble. But I think this West Virginia team is still one of the best at pressing, one of the best defenses, a team that can get there to the Sweet 16. I just don't think they have national championship aspirations this season. Oklahoma might not even have NCAA tournament aspirations this season. We've talked about the importance of a conference tournament. The Big 12 conference tournament is going to be very important for Oklahoma at this point. It doesn't look like they're getting any better. The Trey Young saga is slowing down. His stats are still there, but he's chucking up a lot of shots. It's Is he that good, or is the volume just there for him to put up those statistics? We'll find out. Clearly, Kansas is trying to prove me wrong along the way. I'm obviously still feeling, as long as they're not in the same bracket, at Duke-Michigan State Finals. I think this Michigan State team is really, really real. Purdue, I do enjoy, but like I said, I don't think they'd get over that tier of North Carolina, Duke, Villanova, or Michigan State. But that's all the time we have this week, everybody. This is Roz here at the Sporting Edge. We'll be back together with and I in the studio, at least cross studios, next week. 
We enjoy all your presence. Follow us on Father, or social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you like. Have a great weekend, everybody. schedule today. I was interviewing at a talent agency and that interview involved me having to be there for a full day's work. So it was a very, uh, very exciting day, very fun day. Um, but now we're here. So I'm doing my segments alone and it's totally fine. As Xander, like he's mentioned, you probably hasn't watched a combined two quarters of basketball in NCAA or NBA. So what I'm coming to you today, I'm going to start off with the NBA, kind of live look-ins of where we're at in the NBA season really in the dog days right now. I mean, we're right on the verge of the NFL season picking back up, and that sounds weird because obviously it starts in September, but we got the combine, we got the draft coming up, and we've got free agency opening up March 14th. We'll stick to the NBA right now, a lot going on. The Cavs kind of now back into drift mode, wondering when they're going to start to gel together, when they're going to start figuring it out, and... It needs to come, definitely, if you're a LeBron or Cleveland fan, it needs to come within the next couple of months because you can't be doing this process once the NBA playoffs come around. But we're always on the Cavs. We're always talking about LeBron. And nobody can ask the question, where is he going? At least to him. I mean, we can all speculate. You watch it on The Herd. You watch it on ESPN. You watch it on pretty much any Twitter universe or sphere possible. What you do is you speculate where he's going. And, in fact, it was interesting Thursday night when – we were recording the show. Philadelphia was in Cleveland playing a game. We know that Clutch Sports, Ben Simmons is a part of, and Clutch Sports is run by LeBron James' management team. They've got a bond. they got a special bond. It's a young player LeBron James is beginning to trust, a guy that LeBron James believes is going to be the next big thing in the NBA. So my question becomes, when there's two guys, Lonzo Ball, who's very dynamic, had a very good night Thursday night and is back from injury, Obviously, there's going to be the IT debate. Who's going to play IT? Lonzo Ball it might shift a little bit. And with them not really being in contention, there's going to be a lot of swinging parts of that. But then you got Ben Simmons, who's also playing with Joel Embiid, who isn't, to me, established and, to me, not proven. I mean, he's having a fantastic season. He's been healthier this season than in years past. And if he can continue to be this way, I think he will be along the lines of an Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins in terms of the most just dominating center in the NBA. But for the time being, still juries out on Joel Embiid. But you, you start to balance because when you hear the teams like the Los Angeles Lakers or the Houston Rockets, which makes sense because of Harden's dynamic play and Chris Paul obviously being LeBron James' best friend, or you now have the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, that's an interesting team to me. People shut it down. They're not proven. They're rookies. They're young. Why would LeBron want to go to a team that is arguably still a work in progress? Really, I don't believe so. I think Ben Simmons is going to set the record for most triple doubles by a rookie. I know he's not a true rookie, but he's going to set that record. Joel Embiid is showing flashes of Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins' skills, like I just said. And he can be the folk, and he doesn't have to bring the ball up every time. Ben Simmons has that ability as well. you got a pure score in J.J. Redick, a guy like Kyle Korver or Ray Allen, who's been on the LeBron James winning team. He gets to stay in the East, Philadelphia, not too far away from Cleveland. I think proximity to home, that's kind of nice for LeBron. I know he's got a lot of estates and residency out in Los Angeles, so that also is a very driving factor there. Los Angeles, I think, is going to be given the real opportunity to get LeBron. And yes, yeah, so we're going to go, and I want to do this LeBron speculation before we get into the standings where I think teams are going to end up. 
But I want to give you guys concise and where I believe LeBron's going to end up next year. I really think he's leaving Cleveland. And I just think the only way he stays is if they win a championship, and it doesn't seem plausible. It doesn't seem like there's enough talent on that team to compete with the four all-star team that is the Golden State Warriors. So I think he's ultimately going to leave. I don't think he necessarily wants to leave the East. The East is where he has reigned supreme, where he's absolutely dominated. And I think it would be bad for the NBA as a whole if LeBron left the East. So I know I'm personally on the bandwagon that believes the NBA is rigged to some degree, whether it's through the draft, whether it's scripted, like some people have come out and said, I don't know if it's at that extreme. But part of me thinks that if the NBA can, they're going to try to keep LeBron in the East so that we do have that budding rivalry, that LeBron versus the Western Conference. And I know that's very vague and how can you have a rivalry against the whole conference, but I more mean the top teams like the Spurs, Golden State Warriors, and maybe the Rockets who are becoming a threat that we'll talk about in a little bit. But LeBron to me right now, when it comes down to decision-making, the Lakers are going to have to make the moves. LeBron doesn't have to do anything once the NBA season's over. He can sit back, hang with the family, relax, and watch the NBC NBA free agency roll because that money's going to be there for him. He has done his contracts. He's taken the shortest amount of uh, he's done the shortest amount of years, getting maxing out on his deals where he can. He's waiting for the big contract, and I think it is time. It'll be his last one, arguably, maybe not, maybe he proved me wrong. And he's the greatest forty-year-old athlete of all time. Who knows? But I think this is going to be his long-term show. This is the one he's going to sign for six years. This is the one where he's going to be there possibly opt out after the fourth season. But I think this is going to be his team that defines the end of his career, builds his legacy towards the Michael Jordan conversations. And the Lakers, to me, I think need to show that him that they're willing to go out and do it. They're going to keep Lonzo. What I'm hearing is IT is going to be going to his 100th team, and there's only 30 teams in the league. So we'll see how that works out. IT complaining today that he just needs one team to love him. And honestly, I loved you. I was a fan last year, and... I thought you were a fantastic scorer and everything. But for me to hear that there's locker room issues with you, I don't think you can have that and then ask for love. And it just, and no pun intended, the fact that his locker room issues were with Kevin Love. But IT to me, he's fallen off my radar, has no defensive traits, no defensive skills. It's irrelevant to me. So it'll be Lonzo there to help recruit. But that's, that's really the issue. When you think about all these massive moves that are made, when Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson sat down and recruited Kevin Durant to Golden State, that's a powerful threesome right there, recruiting one of the top players in the country. Who do the Lakers right now have to recruit LeBron? I know Magic Johnson is absolutely a dynamic force up in the front office. Lonzo Ball, I mean, you, do, you definitely want LeVar Ball as far away. And I remember, I respect LeVar Ball, but you want LeVar Ball as far away as possible here. Lonzo can't be the only voice of this Lakers team, so I think they do need to go out there and sign. There's talks about trade for Anthony Davis. There's talks about... Obviously, Paul George going home to Los Angeles, coming off a contract. Is he not going to be loyal to Russ Westbrook who recruited him there? I mean, look at that recruiting name. Westbrook bringing Paul George in. Obviously, it was via trade, but um, that's going to be a point of contention. Will Russ Westbrook be able to keep his keep Paul George and Carmelo Anthony there? I don't know. The Lakers, like I said, in order for him to go to Los Angeles, the moves need to be made first. Other than that, he can. I think the Rockets are the absolute best choice available. I don't think you're selling your soul with the Lakers, but I don't think you're selling your soul either with the Rockets. I mean, the talks of him going to Golden State are arguably the biggest jokes of all time. I don't think that'll ever happen. I think at that point you could question his competitiveness. His actual legacy would be questioned. But the Rockets make sense to me. He played with D-Wade. He never played with Carmelo, but 
when you look at the banana boat, I'm always assuming that Chris Paul, D. Wade, and LeBron are a little closer than Carmelo is. Carmelo's had his troubles in recent years, and it doesn't seem like he's been as connected. Chris Paul, he's never played with Chris Paul. I think you'd love and relish the opportunity to play with a point guard like that. I mean, if you think about the point guards that LeBron James has played with in his career, we've got Mario Chalmers, we had Derrick Rose for a little bit here, Isaiah Thomas, who was there for 14 games, Jose Calderon. I mean, you go back to Daniel Gibson, who wasn't even a point guard, Mo Williams, who was pretty decent, but he's never had a premier point guard. I think Chris Paul would be the first premier point guard he plays with. You can argue that Chris Paul's up there in age. You can argue that Lonzo Ball will be that next premier point guard, but maybe he doesn't want to wait. Maybe he wants to do four years with James Harden, who I, who has proven to be the best scorer to me in the NBA. So I believe the Rockets are a great landing option, and they don't have to prove anything. They just need Chris Paul to come out there and say, hey, come play with me. Let's play with Harden. Make some Capella is a great center down low. This is a team ready to compete with the Warriors. And that brings me to my quick points as we're coming up to the end. Rockets, they're in real contention with the Warriors. Now, I say that in terms of they're going to create a good series. There's no way they win in seven games. It was the argument I used to have back in the day, who can knock LeBron James out of the East? Well, you can take games, you can be competitive, you can be like those Indiana Pacers, you can be like the Bulls, and really keep it close with LeBron, but you couldn't beat him in a seven-game series. And I was obviously wrong when the Mavericks did it, and I was wrong when the Spurs did it, but that was... I wasn't really talking about the NBA championship. I was talking about if you put any Eastern Conference team, I don't think you beat him in the 70s. And I don't think that happens still. I don't think the Raptors have the talent to do this year. The Celtics look a little weak to me. The Bucks are just not there yet. And the same goes for the Warriors. I think it's a fantastic series between the Raptors and Warriors. Harden will play his heart out. Absolutely dominates for other teams. And score keep up with one another. And the Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.